So while I make a minor transition over here, I want to tell you a little bit more about the trip to Texas. Um, God's Learning Channel has given us really good uh, exposure. The month of August, the schedule is on Facebook. I posted it on my Facebook site. Thank you, Jose. So if you're one of my friends, you can get on there and look at my note, and that's where the schedule is. And if you're not one of my friends, what's the matter for you? <laughs> Be my friend. <laughs> and then you can get it. They gave us um, five spots a week for the month of August, including one primetime spot. So I don't know how big their audience is, but uh, we're going to get a good, good chunk of them, you know, seeing our show. They um, interviewed me while I was there for their show called Light of the Southwest, and they wanted to do the interview prior to me getting aired so I could, they could again see my face, get to know me. They probably mentioned my program four or five times during the interview. I mean, they're just big-hearted, godly Christian people who want nothing more than to get the message out, specifically the message of the scripture from a Jewish perspective, a Christian Jewish perspective. So they're just thrilled that we're broadcasting with them. I'm thrilled to be broadcasting with them. And um, while I was there, we stayed in their guest house, and um, they had it packed with Chinese people, Chinese believers, some from Hawaii and many from actually China. And because of the language barrier, it was difficult to know exactly what one of the pastors was saying because he was there for the God's Learning Channel for an interview or something. And he said in China that they don't, they're not, I don't know if he said they have one Christian station or they're not allowed to have one Christian station. I'm not sure what he said, but he said he wanted to watch Christian TV and he wasn't allowed to, so he has one hidden. I don't know if it's a satellite or internet, hidden up in the attic so that he can watch Bible teaching on TV. We just don't understand how it is out there. We've got it so good here. These people risk imprisonment to watch the kind of programming that we take for, for granted. And then the guy in Hawaii, another pastor, um, he and I bonded and had a great time together. And so I said, you know, I said, you may not realize this, but uh, the Jewish people and the Chinese people have an amazing connection. He said, really? I said, yeah. I said, did you know that Jewish people in America, there's a stereotype about us that our favorite food is actually Chinese food? And I mean, it's true. It's a true stereotype. You want to know where the best Chinese restaurants in any given town? Ask the Jewish Community Center. They'll tell you. And so I got to joke a little with him. It's true, but I got to joke a little with him. Got to tell him a joke about Chinese people and Jewish people, which he really liked. And I figured, now, nah, if he likes that joke, we're going to be friends forever. Joke goes something like this. I was like, I was risking a relationship fracture because I don't know the Chinese culture. Maybe this kind of joke would be horribly offensive. Well, I'm just going to throw it out there and see what happens. So I said, there was this uh, Jewish businessman visiting China, and he was there on a Saturday morning, which, if you didn't know, that's when Jewish people worship. And he goes down to the front desk, and he asked the guy at the front desk if there's a synagogue nearby so he can go and worship. And... The guy spoke English, but with a really thick Chinese accent. And he said, yeah, yeah, synagogue, I understand. You go here, you go there, down the street, and you see a big star, you go, you can go worship. The guy goes, really? Do you really know what I'm talking about? You're English? I understand. Go, see. So the Jewish guy walks down the street, follows the guy's direction, and sure enough, there's a building right there in downtown China world with a big star David on it. And he's just like floored. He, he, what are the odds? 
So he walks in, a bunch of Jewish people with, with yarmulkes on and prayer shawls. Let me do it up right here. Got a yarmulke on. Got a prayer shawl on. Whole lobby full of guys talking, looking like this. And then he walks in. And they all stop. Everything gets real quiet. And they look at him. Can I help you? One of the Chinese guys says in really thick-accented English. And he goes, yes, I've come to pray with you. I'm Jewish. You're Jewish? You don't look Jewish. <laughs> you don't look Jewish. <laughs> so he was busting up. He thought that was the best joke ever. <laughs> and I said, you know, personally, though, there's not a lot of places on the planet I'm passionate about seeing. I mean, I wanted to see Israel, and that's always top on my list, and I've gotten to go. Um, but number two on my list is China. I said, my wife, she wants to go to Egypt. She wants to go to Germany. I don't care about Egypt or Germany, but China. I'd love to see China someday. Really, they were just so blessed. Culture is so interesting. You know, we got there. This is a guest house. They're guests at the guest house. We got there right when they were finishing up dinner. They helped us with our luggage. They made us a plate of dinner. They asked us to sit down. Is there anything we can do for you? They're like taking care of us when they're guests at the guest house. And then he, he started to explain to me that's how kind of Chinese culture is. And then I learned that in Chinese culture, also like we might argue about religion. They don't argue with strangers. They'll just shake their head and nod and smile and listen to everything you have to say, even though they don't really care what you're saying. They're just being polite but they're not gonna argue with you. So to try and convince somebody from China that Jesus is the savior with an argument, you might think you're making headway, but you're not. So just in those you know, few hours we spent with them, we learned a lot about China. I was invited to go and minister there. And um, the lady who produces the God's Learning Channel, I don't know what she's called, but one of the head honchos there, she, she's interested in going and maybe expanding and extending their ministry to China. And I said, you know, wouldn't it be great? See, they sell their satellite system because wherever you are in the world, 90% of the globe can pick up their signal if, they, if you have a dish. And I think they sell their dish and their box for like 200 bucks. I mean, it's like nothing. And I said, well, why don't you consider, I mean, it's just an idea. I'm the new guy here, but why don't you consider going out to your audience and saying, sponsor a dish and just start spreading them out all over China. And then as soon as I said that, the Chinese lady sitting next to her threw her an elbow and said, see, confirmation. I said, what are you talking about? I just told her that a couple of hours ago. Ah, I see. Okay. But knowing that, uh, you know, the only church in China that's really doing well is the underground church. It's illegal to worship there. Well, maybe they don't have a lot of pastoral training. Maybe they don't have a lot of well-balanced biblical teaching. I don't know. But the day may come where I'm going to ask you to send me there. So we'll see. Keep it in prayer. Kind of nerve-wracking. The food will be good, but I don't want to go to jail. So I'm going to try to figure out a way to go there without going to prison. I would like that. All right, enough of the fun stuff. Into the better. We have been going through the Kings and the Prophets. And uh, we are in the book of Isaiah. And I'm going to finish up Isaiah this morning. Yeah, it's got 66 chapters. And no, we've only been through a few of them. But you can go home and check them out for yourself. Um, I found something very interesting, at least to me, in Isaiah chapter 64 through 66, in looking at some of the, the scriptures that jumped out and grabbed my attention, I saw a pattern. I saw 
a plan. I actually saw a blueprint of God's plan for saving the world, which I thought was just stunning, because I always knew that blueprint was found in Romans 11, but I never knew it was found anywhere in order in just a few chapters of the Old Testament. And the blueprint goes like this. I'll tell you what it is, and then we'll look at it piece by piece. Um, Israel rejects God. God gets mad at Israel. God chooses a new people to bless Gentiles, and then Jew and Gentiles worship God together. That's the plan. It's spelled out clearly in Romans 11, but it's also spelled out clearly in Isaiah 64 through 66. So we're going to look at it. Plan. How many of you have ever built anything? Can I see your hands? Oh, almost everybody's hands. Wow, I'll put mine down. I, I've never built anything. I've broken things. I've started to build things before I called people to build them for me. <laughs> I can't build anything. Now, those of you who raised your hands... I want to see your hands again if you've used plans to build something. Ah, that's my first mistake. You need plans. All right. And I'm of the opinion that the bigger the project, the bigger the plans. You know, I don't imagine plans for building a shed in your backyard are going to be anything like a 60-story building in downtown Chicago. And I've seen some of those plans. Nuts and bolts and how many and what size they are. And this nut's got to fit in that hole. And there's going to be a million of them running up the girders. And they've got to be made of this strength steel by this manufacturer to fit the engineering specs for the weight of the building. They know how much the building is going to sway in the wind. And they plan for it to sway in the wind because if it's too rigid, it'll break. The details are drawers full of blueprints. Drawers full. It's amazing. The bigger the project, the bigger the plan. Well, that's building something physical, but what about planning to do something? Laying out a, a I don't know, like we went to, to Texas, but it's not like I just got in the car and said, where is it, let's go. I got onto the GPS. I, I went, first I went online and looked at the map, and then I plugged it into my GPS to see if my GPS was in agreement with the map and if it could get me there. And then I decided, well, what if my GPS breaks? I better bring a map. So I brought an atlas. I made sure that uh, we had a place to stay. Apparently, all the hotels are filled up there because the oil industry is booming. There were oil rigs as far as the eye could see. I mean, they're everywhere. God bless them. Maybe they'll get us up foreign oil. It was awesome. But we had to have a plan to get there. And it's like a nine, 10 hour drive. So are we going to eat first or eat on the road or stop and eat? Plans. God has a plan to save the world, right? To offer salvation to everybody in the world. It's not just haphazard. Like he says, you know what? I'd like everybody to be saved, so I'll just wing it and see what happens. He's got a plan. And the scripture says God doesn't do much amongst us without revealing it to the prophets. So we're going to take a look at God's plan for saving the world. And it actually fits into what I told you the prophets have been doing for the last several weeks. Prophets do three things. They point out sin, they pronounce judgment, and then they proclaim hope. So point out sin, pronounce judgment for that sin, and then offer hope. This is under the hope portion. The hope is that God will redeem mankind, that Israel will be saved, and the Gentiles with her. So we're going to be looking at the hope kind, but there's a plan. Four pieces. Israel turns her back on God. God gets mad at Israel and therefore offers the same blessings to non-Jews. And then Jew and Gentile get saved together. Piece number one 
Israel rejects God, Isaiah 64, 5 through 7. You come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. But when we continued to sin against them, you were angry. How then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you. So here's what the prophet is saying about the children of Israel at this time and in this place. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you. And then he goes on to say in chapter 66, when I called, no one answered. When I spoke, no one listened. They did evil in my sight and chose what displeases me. When I called, no one answers. I'm going to make a call. See how this goes. I wonder if Jose's got his phone on vibrate or not. We're about ready to find out. Hey, how did you say that and your lips didn't move? Do that again. It's like a Chinese movie. His lips are moving, but I'm hearing him delayed. That's pretty cool. Now I'm hearing you all laugh like a second late, too. That's, that's confusing. But I called and you answered. Thank you. I appreciate that. You know, the leadership of this congregation, for the most part, has this policy just out of respect. It's not like we put it in writing. When they call, we answer. You know? We can't always answer our phone for everybody all the time. But if one of the leaders calls... I'm answering, because they're, they're important, and they're important to me, and what they do here is important. And if they're calling me, it must be important, so I'm going to pick up. When somebody calls, you answer, and the mo more important the person is, the more likely you are to answer. You know, 1-800-555-5552, calling from Indianapolis. Oh, it's a salesman. Forget it. I'm not going to answer that. My mom calls. I'll answer, right? Depends on who the person is. For when I called, no one answered. It's like God called, and they looked at the caller ID and said, oh, it's just God. Let's go back to playing poker. Come on, really? When God calls, they don't answer? Yeah. Talk about the ultimate in disrespect. I'm in the middle of a staff meeting, and one of my children calls. I pick up the phone. I say, excuse me, this should just be a minute. I'm going to pick up the phone because they're that important to me. I'll interrupt a staff meeting to talk to my kids, you know, and hopefully it's not important, but I'm going to pick up the phone just in case. Yeah, I was watching the show the other night. The whole show, the first part of it was the guy's phone kept ringing and he kept hitting the ignore button and finally said, why aren't you picking up the phone? He said, oh, it's my ex-wife. <laughs> Ooh, cold. He said, well, what if it's an emergency? And he said, well, she should dial 911. Just so happened she stepped into the room at that moment. <laughs> I hear your phone's working just fine. Ooh. When I called, no one answered. When I spoke, no one listened. They did evil in my sight and chose what displeases me. Israel rejected God as plain as the nose on my face. So God got mad at Israel. Here's what he said. All day long, I've held out my hands to an obstinate people who walk in ways not good. 
pursuing their own imaginations. A people who continually provoke me to my very face. They provoke me to my face, offering sacrifices in gardens and burning incense on altars of brick. Not only that, but they actually offered sacrifices to false gods in the temple. They went to God's house and then offered sacrifices to other gods. How blatantly disrespectful is that? You can't get any worse than that. So Israel is totally rejecting God. God gets mad at them because they provoked him to his face. And God says, fine. You don't want a relationship with me? You don't want to love me? You don't want my love? I'll offer it to somebody who wants it. Isaiah 65, 1. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. To a nation that did not call on my name, I said, here am I, here am I. You don't want me, Israel? Fine. I bet you there's people out there who do. I'll just go to them. And that's exactly what happened. He revealed himself to non-Jewish people. And as we see later on in the New Testament, the followers of Jesus amongst the non-Jews exploded. The world was turned over upside down on the amount of Gentiles who wanted to follow the God of Israel. In fact, this verse in Isaiah is quoted in the book of Romans. It says, I asked, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. And then Isaiah boldly says, quote, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. God even told them ahead of time this is what was going to happen. Part of the plan. Nothing takes God by surprise. It's like, I got I didn't know you were going to do that. God knows everything, and he's got a contingency plan for everything. And so God used Israel's rejection of him to offer the gospel to non-Israelis or non-Israelites or non-Jews, which was part of his plan. He chose a new people, the non-Jews, who are called Gentiles. However, this is extremely important because a good portion of the church gets this wrong. Just because God brought the gospel to Gentiles doesn't mean he's done with Israel. That's called replacement theology because the Jews turned their back on God, God turned his back on the Jews, and he's done with them. That is not true, but that's what a lot of the church teaches. Up to 70% of the church teaches that. In Isaiah, within the next few verses, it's obvious that that's not the case. God doesn't exclude Israel for the Gentiles. He includes the Gentiles. Here's what it says in Isaiah 65, 18 and 19. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create, for I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take, my del and take delight in my people. So God says, yes, you've turned your back on me. I'm mad at you. I'm bringing the gospel to the Gentiles, but I'm not done with you. I'm going to make Jerusalem a delight. Everything's going to be good. You have a future too. It's not either or with God, it's both and. And it's extremely important we know that. And as I get through the lesson, you'll understand why. But replacement theology that says, since the Jews rejected Jesus, God rejected the Jews. I have a problem with that on so many levels. First of all, the Jews didn't reject Jesus. Some of the Jews rejected Jesus. And so did some of the Gentiles. Remember Herod, Pontius Pilate? Pontius Gentile, Herod Jew, they did this thing together, right? 
Peter was Jewish. Paul was Jewish. James was Jewish. Mary was Jewish. All the stars in the New Testament, until we get to the latter books, they're all Jewish. So to just say the Jews rejected Jesus, is, it's a racist statement. It's untrue. The leadership did, yeah, for the most part. Nicodemus didn't. So even saying the leadership did isn't fully accurate. Jews and Gentiles conspired together against Jesus. That is true. Jewish people had less excuse. That is also true. We had the Bible. We had the prophets. We should have known better. But nevertheless, to say the Jews rejected Jesus is not an accurate statement and smacks of anti-Semitism. Furthermore, if the Jews rejected Jesus, to say that God therefore rejected the Jews, that means that God is then fickle. He's not going to put up with anybody rejecting him, and yet I've got thousands of years of Old Testament history that says that's not how God is at all. He's more gracious than that. He's more patient than that. And if God can reject the Jews, then he can reject you too. And your eternal life in Jesus is by no means a sure thing. Because all you've got to do is turn your back on Jesus, and he's going to turn his back on you. Is that the Jesus you want? It's not the one I want. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Not whoever believes in him may or may not perish, depending on their attitude over the next 20 years. Will not perish. He keeps his own. Because if he doesn't, let's eat and drink and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Because if, it, if it's dependent upon me to keep it, I'm not even going to try because I know I'll fail. Now, not only does it not make sense, the Bible out and out says it's not true. Listen, Romans 11. Here's what the Apostle Paul wrote. I asked then, did God reject his people? By no means. It just out and out and says it's not true. So how anybody can believe that, I don't know. 70% of the professing church believes it. When Romans clearly says it's not true, right in your face it says it's not true. And yet they still believe it. Why? Anti-Semitism? Why else? I don't know. Bad teaching? Some people adopted it because they were misled? Yes. Anti-Semitism? Yes. Both and? I don't know. I just know that it says, did God reject his people? No. And the person who's saying this is Paul, who is a rabbi. The Apostle Paul. And that's what he says. He says, I myself have an Israelite. How rejected do you think I am? He's an apostle. He's the apostle. He's not very rejected. He says, I'm an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. God keeps his promises. That's the part I'm throwing in there. But in that chapter, it says, it says, the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. That's what it's talking to, God's calling of the children of Israel. God didn't just call them until they messed up and then just throwing them away forever. I mean, he could have done that if he didn't promise already that he wouldn't. But he said in countless places in the Old Testament that the Jewish people are his forever. And I believe it's so. If you want to research that, you can start with Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31, and read on from there. As long as there's stars in the sky... As long as the waves roar, he says, I will not cast off the children of Israel. God's plan was never exclusive to Israel, though. It wasn't like he just wanted to call Jews and just save Jews. That was never his plan. He always planned on reaching out to the nations. He wanted to use the Jewish people willfully or willingly, and he would use them unwillingly. Here's what I mean. 
How did God use the Jewish people to reach out to the nations? Well, he first made the promise to Abraham. And he said, through you all the nations will be blessed. That was fulfilled in a descendant of Abraham, Jesus. God used the Jewish people to bring the Messiah to the world. He used the Jewish people, all the prophets were Jewish. And he used the Jewish people to write the Bible. We owe the children of Israel quite a debt of gratitude. But when they stumbled in their faith, God used that too as the opportunity to spread the gospel to the Gentiles. So I've got this picture I'd like to show you. This is the salvation cycle. And I'll read to you if you can't see the letters of what it says. Um, but this is how God saves the world. Remember I told you he had a plan. This is the plan simplified. Number one, Jews walk with God and bring the message of God to the world, which the Jewish people did through the prophets, through the Bible, through missionaries, and ultimately through Jesus himself. Okay, so the Jewish people did that. Sometimes willingly, sometimes not willingly, but often willingly. The Jewish people brought the Bible to the world, the prophets to the world, and the Messiah to the world. So Jews walked with God. But number two, we move over. See, this is a wheel. It goes around. There's a, it's a circle. Number two, Jews stumble in their faith, and salvation then comes to the Gentiles. And now the Gentiles walk with God. So first it was the Jews walking with God. Ah, but they stumbled, they fell. And then the Gentiles started walking with God. Number three, the Gentiles are to bring the Jews the message of salvation once again. So it comes back around. It's a wheel. But if the Jewish people bring the gospel to the Gentiles, and then the Gentiles keep it to themselves. I've already told you 70% of the professing church says God's done with the Jewish people. How is God's plan going to run forward? It's a wheel. And we've just lopped off the bottom of the wheel. Say, well, Steve, that's interesting, but what's the significance to you and me? It's huge, because this is God's plan to save the world. And there's a lot of people out there who call themselves Christian who aren't only not part of the plan, they're resisting the plan. Case in point. And if you want statistics, you can talk to uh, Michael Lapoff from Congregation Bethsar Shalom. Uh, he's a Jewish guy got saved as an adult, and became an itinerant minister, going from church to church, leading in worship, preaching the gospel, and raising funds to support Jewish work. That is, the organizations, organization he was with would actually go to Jewish people and tell them about Jesus. That was their main thing, to try to share the gospel with Jewish people, a missions field. So he went to hundreds and hundreds of churches over the several years that he was doing this, and he'd go to the typical church and say, you know, I minister to the Jewish people. We're raising funds to do Jewish missionary work, to reach out to the Jewish people with the gospel. And this is what he'd hear at virtually every church. I think he told me every church, but definitely virtually every church. Something like this. Oh, yes, we, we're very active in missions. We've got missionaries in Africa, and we've got missionaries to the Chinese, and we've got uh, missionaries in the inner city, and we've got missionaries to the Indians. Uh, do you have any Jewish missionaries? No. Well, would you like to support Jewish missionaries? Well, we'd like to, but, you know, our, our plate is full. We can't take on any more missionaries. Romans 1.16. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. Church after church, these are, for the most part, evangelical, Bible-believing churches who don't preach to the Jew first and also to the Greek. They preach to the Greek. They, 
He said, joking, I'd be happy if they preached to the Jew last. But they don't preach to the Jew at all. God's plan, and we're not following it. The significance of that, in just a moment, hopefully will be stunning. But I want to continue reading from Romans 11. Again I ask, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all, King James. God forbid. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. I'm sorry to say it's not been working that way. Most Jewish people are not at all envious of Christian faith. What most Jewish people see in Christianity is anti-Semitism. It's a pathetic thing, but that's what they see. So our goal was to show them, okay, you turned your back on God and now we're walking with God. You should be a little jealous that we've got the relationship you once had. That's not happening. And that's sad. It should be happening. The plan goes on. I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part. The Jewish people are spiritually blinded in part. What do you mean in part? Well, I'm Jewish. I believe in Jesus, so I'm not part of that part. You see what I mean? Some Jewish people believe, some don't. Some are hardened, some aren't. Hardening in part. And by the way, isn't that true of Gentiles too? Some believe, some don't. We've got, you know, a million people in the greater Tucson area. Why do we have empty pews? Why does every church in town have empty seats? We could fill them all 20 times over, but we don't. We're all spiritually blind together. But God's got a plan. And Israel right now is hardened in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. It's almost like that clock in Times Square with our national debt on it. It's almost like there's a clock in heaven with souls ticking on it. And when we know it, it hits a certain number, the plan is going to the next phase. Hardening in part until the full numbers of the Gentiles come in, and then, or so, all Israel will be saved as it's written. So God is still not primarily working with the Jewish people spiritually. He's still primarily working with the Gentiles spiritually. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion, and he will turn godlessness away from Jacob. So the salvation cycle I told you about, the big wheel, is summarized in Romans 11, 30-32. Let me read it to you. Just as you Gentiles were at one time disobedient to God, have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience. So all the world had its back turned to God. God raised up Abraham and a group of faithful people, walked with him, didn't walk with him, didn't walk with him, walked with him, but all the rest of the Gentile world was not walking with him. Just as you Gentiles were at one time disobedient to God, have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience. So they too have now become disobedient in order that you too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. For God has bound all men over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. That's God's plan. Everybody fails, everybody gets a chance with him, and we're supposed to share it with one another. It would almost be like this. It's winter out, it's 20 degrees, freezing to death weather, and you've got two jackets in your warm, toasty automobile, and you drive by a guy with none, and you just drive by. It's almost like that.
Now, I told you the consequences that I hoped would stun you. Listen. The result of God's plan. God's got a plan to save the world. This is how it's supposed to pan out. I'm in Romans 11, 12. If their transgression, that's the Jewish people stumbling in their faith, if their transgression means riches for the world, okay, remember, they stumbled in the faith, so all the Gentiles got the message of salvation. Their transgression, the riches of the world, their salvation. If their transgression means riches for the world and their loss, riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their fullness bring? In other words, if because they stumbled in faith, the whole world ended up getting saved, or the gospel, which is awesome, imagine what the consequences will be if they get up again. If the negative thing produced such a glorious outcome, what would the positive thing possibly do? Well, it says, for if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? When they stand up again, the Jewish people in faith, life from the dead. Well, what does that mean? Well, one of two possible things. It's either figurative or literal. If it's literal, it's talking about the resurrection, the rapture, the coming of Jesus, the culmination of the ages. And if it's figurative, I can't imagine what it is. It's got to be stunningly beautiful and amazing. Because the counterpart was the salvation of the world. And what's better than that? I don't know. So here's what it's saying. These people have stumbled in faith. When they get up again, it's going to be amazing. Maybe even resulting in Jesus himself coming. I don't know. But check it out. 70% of us won't even talk to these people about Jesus. We're shooting ourselves in the foot. We may actually be inhibiting the return of Jesus. Because he's given us the blueprint... And we shoved it in the back of the drawer. We're not following the plan. It'd be like my trip to Texas. Let's just say I left the GPS at home and I left the map at home. And I decided Texas was definitely northwest of here. So instead of getting on 10 and going east, I get 10 and go northwest. And I end up in California. And I use my brilliant geographical mind and say, ah, I haven't gone far enough north. So I end up in Washington. And I stopped at a gas station and said, where's Texas? Well, they said, no, this is Chevron. Texaco's over there. They don't even know what I'm talking about. Texas? Who would do that? I would tell you, the church would do that for the last 2,000 years. Wow. Now, when I say the church, I don't even know what I mean. Because a lot of the so-called church isn't even the church. They just call themselves the church. But what about the church church? Those hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of churches that Michael visited who had no ministry to Jewish people at all. That is the church. Well, they may not be anti-Semites, but they're definitely not forwarding the plan of God. So, God's plan for Israel and the nations. Israel rejects God. God gets mad at Israel. God chooses a new people. Next step, whenever it happens, Jew and Gentile, one in Messiah. That's, by the way, one of the things I like about uh, the Messianic community. That is, Jews who believe in Jesus worshiping with Gentiles. 
it's a little taste of what there is in God's plan to come someday. And it just makes me think of the future and what God's laid out for us. Um, Jew and Gentile, one in Messiah. I read to you from Romans. Ephesians talks about the middle wall of partition coming down. I'll read to you from that in a moment. But Isaiah says the same thing. Like I said, I had no idea Isaiah had all this in there. Listen, Isaiah's talking. Isaiah 66, 19 through 21. I will send some of those who survive to the nations. Nations is the same Hebrew word as Gentiles. So God says, I'm judging Israel, but I'm going to send some of you survivors out to the Gentiles. To the distant islands that have not heard of my fame or seen my glory. They will proclaim my glory among the Gentiles, nations. And they will bring all your brothers from all the nations to my holy mountain in Jerusalem, says the Lord. And I will select some of them to be priests and Levites, says the Lord. This is amazing because in order to be a priest or Levite, first of all, you had to be a Jew. But it didn't, it was, you couldn't be just any Jew. If you were from the tribe of Benjamin, disqualified. Tribe of Asher, disqualified. Tribe of Manasseh, disqualified. You had to be from the tribe of Levi. And then there was genealogy in there about whether you could be a priest or a Levite. It was the most exclusive of the exclusive. So what does God say in Isaiah? I'm going to send our Jewish missionaries all over the world. They're going to bring Gentiles back, and they're going to be the exclusive of the exclusive, just like you are. There's going to be no difference. Gentiles and Jews, one in Messiah before God. Beautiful day. Here's how Ephesians puts it. Remember that at that time in the past, he's speaking to Gentiles here, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise. You were without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. He has made the two one. By abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. This is God's plan, that Gentiles would be brought in and become one with Israel. That was God's plan. That is God's plan. Back in Acts 15, when Gentiles started getting saved, they all got together and said, what do we do with them? Oh, do we got to make Jews out of them? Do they got to keep all the laws? And the apostles got together and said, no. They don't. Awesome. Now, here we are 2,000 years later. It's no longer a question of whether Gentiles can become part of the Jewish people. It's now the church's perspective, and I use that word loosely again, saying we don't want to have anything to do with Jewish people. And by the way, Romans talks about that, about the roots and the branches, and the branches boasting against the roots that support it. And God says, hey, if I can lop off a natural branch, I can certainly lop off you. Don't boast against the roots. So there's warning, there's teaching, there's instruction. All I can say this, I believe God has a huge blessing, resurrection from the dead, a huge blessing in store for us. And we are the only ones keeping him from blessing us. We, the church. So what can we do about it? I don't know. I don't know. 
you know? I'm hoping part of what I'm doing on God's Learning Channel is helping to educate the body of Christ about our responsibilities for God's plan. What at Book of Life? Maybe it's time to put together our own missions committee and start doing outreach to Jewish people. I mean, we've been kind of leaning on Beth Sar Shalom's coattails because we're sister congregations, but maybe it's time we took the lead. And say, hey, as the Gentile section of the body of Christ, we got duties too. Step aside, make room, because we're coming along. I don't know. i just thrown it out there so you can know, and together, maybe we can stumble into God's plan. At least now we know what it is. But there is a personal piece of this, because I've been talking about the body of Christ. I've been talking about Jews. That's those people out there. What about us? You know, God has a plan of salvation for us as individuals, too. Not just nations, but individuals. For God so loved the world, the world's full of people, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. So where are you, personally, in God's plan of salvation? Have you turned from your sins and embraced Jesus? Have you told him, I want to be your man. I will follow you. I want to be your woman. I will follow you. I want to be your daughter, your child. I, I will turn away from my sins and pursue God. I will do this. That's where you come in. All that other stuff is just talk until you get to that step. And I would encourage you to do that. If you've not yet made a full-blown, 100%, no-holds-barred commitment to Jesus which is, by the way, the only kind he accepts. It's the only kind that's real. I'd encourage you to do so. We do have a prayer room over here and some folks who'd love to pray with you, if you'd like. They can help you make that commitment and then give you a little packet of some literature to help you on your way. For those of you listening online or at home, we can send that literature to you too if you want to make a commitment to follow Jesus. Would you please join me in prayer? Lord God, we've seen your plan, but it's kind of overwhelming. We don't know how to do our part. And so I pray that you would show us, first, that you'd make us willing to do our part, even if it's uncomfortable and different than what we've been accustomed to, and that you would help us to do it. Um, I don't know, partnering with Bessar Shalom, supporting Jewish work, I just don't know. But I pray that you would show us how to share the gospel, to the Jew first, and also to the Gentile. I pray that the outreach that you've blessed me with at the God's Learning Channel would definitely extend into China so that we can reach Jews and Gentiles. And I pray for the opportunity in October with uh, Israel College of the Bible Radio that that would come to fruition too. Lord, use us as a launching pad to share love and food and shelter and hope for those in Tucson and the gospel message to those worldwide. Lord, we are yours. Please don't let us waste our talents. Use us to your fullness. We know your kingdom's coming. Help us to be forerunners and builders of it. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.